together. If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Luke. It's a book in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 1 this morning. We've been walking through uh, the idea to share Jesus this Christmas. Share Jesus. Uh, We've looked at the wise men, talked about how they were the first ones to share Jesus uh, after he was born, the very first really living evangelizers, if you will. Uh, The next week, our choir, our praise team talked about sharing Jesus in the form of River City Christmas. We had people give testimony through their baptism, which was really cool. Last week, we talked about the wretched King Herod. And what happens when people reject the shared message of Jesus, but we still acknowledge that everyone deserves to hear the message. We talked briefly about the wise men and how they came from afar uh, to worship Jesus, to give glory to God through his newborn son, who was around two at the time. Today, we are less than three days to Christmas, so there's still plenty of time to start Christmas shopping for those of you who are still waiting You know who you are. But today we are going to look at the greatest way to share Jesus. We're going to look at the greatest way Jesus was ever shared. And that was when God shared Jesus with humanity. Today we're going to look at how God shared Jesus with the world. And it started with Mary. So in Luke chapter 1, we're going to be camping out here this morning and talking about some things kind of unpacking this text about uh, the birth of Jesus foretold, as the little tab says, above mine. Uh, and we're just going to enjoy some time in the Word together. Y'all good with that? I mean, it's not really like you have a choice unless you choose to leave. That's whatever. We're going to have a good time today. Uh, but let's look at this in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Y'all know who wrote the book of Luke. Luke, some of y'all are still holding back like, no, it's a trick question, don't say anything, honey. Luke, Luke wrote the book of Luke. Luke was a doctor, all right? Now, how do you think Luke knows this story? He interviewed people. And who do you think he interviewed for this story? Mary. Ashley, thank you. You're either educating the whole room... Or you're just the only one bold enough to say anything about it. So Luke wrote this, and the only way Luke has this account is if he were to sit down and actually interview Mary. So while we can read this text, and we're going to, I want you to have that awe and wonder of what took place in Mary's life. But at the same time, I want you to imagine what it was like for Mary to retell this story to Dr. Luke. Just imagine the awe and wonder that filled her voice as she shared these details. Look at this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Let's stop right there because this is actually the second time this chapter that this guy named Gabriel, this angel named Gabriel, is mentioned. We're going to get into it a little bit later, but he's mentioned a little bit earlier. I just want to point out this is his second appearance in Luke chapter 1. And he was sent to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, a town actually known for its corruption, a town that was known for, uh, uh, man, criminals and people that kind of duck out from the law, hid there. That's why there was so much corruption. They would pay off local officials. It was kind of a, a rough area. 
And he appeared to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You know, I can't help but think, as Mary's telling this story to Dr. Luke, I don't know how many angels have appeared to you in your place at night by yourself. I would imagine if they did, you would probably remember word for word what they said to you. So when we read this, understand, A, it's God's word, so we know it's infallible. There's no, it's, it's perfect. There's no error to be found in it. But at the same time, you just got to think like, man, you know she remembered every word from that conversation. And speaking of conversation, it's two ways. This is what she says in verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. What does your version say in verse 37? For nothing is impossible with God. Is that what I heard somebody say? Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. What an amazing story. Can we just, church, can we just kind of, can we just drop all the formalities and just kind of have like time together this morning? Are y'all okay with that? Because like, I feel just, uh, yeah, let's just kind of get rid of the uptight stuff. Let's, let's talk about this for a little bit. So we do Christmas about once a year, right? I don't know, about once a year. You know, I talk to y'all because y'all are the least interactive of the group. When you do something a lot, what happens? It becomes repetitive. It doesn't mean as much. Men who have been married longer than 20 years, how often do you hold hands with your wife? Yeah! That's what I'm talking about. Does it mean the same thing as it did the first time you held hands with her? Every man whose wife is sitting within two feet of them, absolutely magic. I hold her hand, fireworks, it's amazing. Did you hear that, honey? I said that to the preacher in church. Yeah, absolutely. I have a feeling it might be a little different holding hands with your wife now than it did earlier. You know, now it's just to make sure she doesn't run out in front of a car or something, you know? But then it's like... He's holding my hand. I mean, like, we're really freaking out about this. And it's the same thing. You know, 
I love, I love Mary, did you know? I love Scott's version of it. I listen to it on the radio. I'm like, ain't Scott. You know, I don't know if anyone else is like that. But I love hearing it every year. But you know what? It's not the same as the first time I heard Scott singing. You know what I mean? It still means so much, but it's like, oh, here it comes. Here it comes, you know, elbow. And my wife's like, stop elbowing me. It's crazy. When we do something repetitively, it becomes sometimes a repetition. Church, please, please, this Christmas, don't let the amazing, awe-filled story of Jesus go into repetition mode in your life. We're going to look at, spoiler alert, Christmas Eve service, we're going to read Luke 2. Shocking, I know. And you've probably heard Luke 2 read multiple times. You've probably read Luke 2 multiple times. Do you, do you understand this is the sovereign Lord coming to earth in the form of a baby? This is God in touchable flesh. You know, how many times in, in your prayer life or in your wandering, if you're just like, I just wish God would give me a sign. Well, what about a baby? How's that for a sign? Because he gave us that. And, and if you've forgotten about that, let's, since you can't really, you know, maybe that's repetitive to you. Let's look at you. You're wretched, sinful human without God. And apart from the fact of this story that we're about to tell, you have no hope. You have no hope. And what I mean by no hope, I'm talking hell-bound, sinner. There is absolutely no, nothing in your life that can make you happy or joyful. No hope. So you tell me how amazing this story is. When we sit back with our repetitive ears saying... Church, I want us to, I want us to wake up. I want us to become alive because God's word is alive. And this is the living, breathing Messiah has come to earth. And there's this teenage girl. There's a few of them over here if y'all need some context. There's a teenage girl in her bedroom in a really dirty city of corruption. And an angel shows up and says, Greetings, Mary, you who are highly favored by God. Now, I don't know how you would handle that. I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, Gabriel, hmm, what, what would you like to tell me, Gabriel? I don't know how you would respond. I would have a feeling that if you were laying in bed and an angel shows up, we might have to change the sheets. It's going to freak me out a little bit. It's going to freak me out if, like, anybody shows up in my bedroom at night, you know? Other than, like, my family, if they were like, hey, I'm scared. No, this is, this is not okay. You know, the only thing that troubled her was the greeting in which he used. And, and today, as we talk about Mary, I want to unpack her faith. Because I want a faith like Mary's. And here's what's crazy, church. Mary's not really that much different than us. She was human. She was favored by God, but because she was human, she was born with a sinful nature, therefore she had sin. But yet God found favor in her because she had devoted herself to the Lord. And and hear me on this, man, because some of y'all have this stereotype that when you hear, oh, they were devoted to the Lord, that means they didn't have any friends She probably wore a dress down past her ankles and read the Bible all day. Well, what's wrong with that? Hey, parents, if you have a daughter, would you be okay with her being considered favored by God and not worried about what she dressed or what she looked like or what the world thought about her or how many boyfriends she had? Would you be more... Hold on. Maybe we should just ask the question. Are you more concerned 
with your daughter or your son that God finds favor in them and how they're pursuing him because of your example, parent? I'm just asking. Because I struggle as a parent. I do not have it all together. My fifth grader is here and she'll tell you that. I need help. I need to look to some of you older men at how you did it. And I've actually asked some of you, like, hey, what did you do? How do you do? It's too late to get out of this thing. How do, how, do we, how do we do it? What's going on? I want faith like Mary for my sake, for my, so I can lead my wife, so that I can lead my children. There's nothing that would make me happy, happier than my daughter and my son to grow up and develop a faith like Mary. Except she's a teenager, guys. So we're not talking about by the time she's 60. She's a teenager. She had, she had found favor with God. Look at how she chose to live her life and be devoted to him. Parents, do you want faith like Mary? If for no other reason but for the sake of your children? Something to think about. Who wants to look at this greeting that he gave her? If you actually go back and study the original text, in verse 28 and verse 30, he uses one word that is similar there. Favor. He says, greetings, you are you who are highly favored. In verse 28 and verse 30, he says, Mary, you have found favor with God. If you actually go back to the original text, the word he actually used there was grace. Grace. And this is a big deal. Because this word wasn't in the common vernacular of what they talked about in normal context. He literally said, Gabriel said to her, greetings, you who are graced of God. And then secondly, he said, you have found grace grace with God. See, up to this point in time, in context of human and God relationships, it was only accessible through the law. And they lived and died by the law. If they want any type of interaction with God, they had to play by the rules of the law. And what's so amazing here, church, other than the fact there's an angel standing in this girl's bedroom, is this angel, this Gabriel, is introducing This beautiful teenage girl who has devoted herself to the Lord to a new era. She was saying, the Gabriel was saying to her, a new time has come. The era of the law has ended and now it is time for the era of grace. And he introduced us all because Dr. Luke wrote it down. Us all. He said, hey guys. He said, hey Mary. Grace. You want to know how I know this was not common terms? Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this must be. Because grace, pretty foreign to them, especially in the context of God and human relations. So when he starts off with this greeting, she said, hold up, this ain't a normal angel message, mainly because I'm still alive. That was an Old Testament joke. Sorry, not bad. He was signifying the type of age they were entering into through Mary. Mary herself. Gabriel indicated that Mary herself needed grace. He insinuated in just her, the greeting was insinuating to her, you know what, God wants to do something through you, but in order for that to happen, you're going to need grace for it to happen. I don't know if that's foreign to anybody in here, but he basically said, hey, if God wants to use you, it's going to be by his grace that it's going to come to fruition. Church, this Christmas, would you be willing 
to put yourself not under a tree, but in front of the throne of God and say, Father, I need your grace because I want your will to be lived out in my life. Is that what you're asking for for Christmas? Food for thought. But then he keeps talking. He keeps talking. And he says this incredible thing to her that I don't know if y'all picked up on the depth of it. Look at what he says to her. Beginning in verse, uh, yeah, verse 31. In verse 31, when Gabriel is talking, and he's doing so on behalf of the Lord, he is giving, he gives six commands to Mary that are from God. Let's look at these. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Did you ever pick up on that? Where's Gabriel from? The answer is heaven. Where's Gabriel from? So much more confidence. He is from heaven. He is from, like, literally... He was in the presence of God. He's in the presence of Mary. So when Mary's having a conversation, she's literally talking to an angel who just stood before God himself. It's pretty amazing. And he gives these six commands. And if you go back and you look at those six commands, here's what's unique about them that points to the sovereignty of God as evidenced in the terms and the language that Gabriel was using. Because the first three commands that he gave was about the coming of Christ. What are those three commands? Let's look at them again. We just read them. Verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. This is his first coming. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. These three things we know are about to take place in the coming of Christ. But look at the second three. Verse 32. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. The first three statements was about the coming of Christ. Do y'all know what the second three statements was about? He's coming back. There's two arrivals that Gabriel was preparing humanity for in this text. We don't have to wait to the culmination of Jesus' life, to know that he's coming again. Gabriel just told Mary. Mary told Luke. Luke told the world. Jesus is going to come, and this is coming to the context of what he's coming, but then he's going to come again. This is coming from the Lord, Mary. Listen, pay attention. I was just there like 14 seconds ago. This is coming from the Lord. His kingdom will never end. Guys, this is what God was sharing Jesus with us. This, was, this is what it was pointing to. It was pointing to his sovereignty. It was pointing to his plan. It was pointing to his completeness. It was pointing to his perfection. It was pointing to his desire to have fellowship with man. This is what God was wanting to share with us in Jesus so that in Jesus we might have access to the Father. Is this not blowing your mind? I shared with you Thursday that Mr. George McDaniel breathed his last and went on to be with the Lord. And I spoke with his daughters. And church, I'm not going to lie, it was absolutely beautiful. 
Because as I was talking with them, they were smiling and with tears coming down their faces, they were saying, our father's home. Our dad is with Jesus. No more pain. He is at peace. He is made perfect in the presence of God. I tell you, church, the greatest thing you can do as a man or a woman of God is to pour your testimony into those who will be left behind to tell it on you when you're no longer here. And to give them the assurance that when you're not here, they can still celebrate. It was a beautiful thing. And this, because of the hope we have in Jesus, is why the McDaniel family have peace in celebrating Jesus. Mm. What a hope we have in God's plan to be made glorified amongst humanity. Now let's look at Mary's response. After Gabriel said these incredible things, these things pointing to the coming Christ, the things that were pointing to the second coming of how God's kingdom will never end, look at her response in verse 34. We talked about this a couple of years ago, guys. Y'all remember that? God, y'all are here. Brady, I, Brady's looking at me like, I'm going to kill you after this, boy. It's fine. Brady's my friend. I know he doesn't want to kill me, right? Okay, good. Just making sure. Look at her response. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? It's a pretty, pretty good question. I want you to turn uh, maybe a page or just look earlier in Luke chapter 1. I want to show you somebody um, that we skipped over to get straight to this account. You can look in verse, uh, you can look in verse 5. Luke 1, verse 5, it says this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, we talked about him last week, there was a priest named Zechariah. Now let's learn a little bit about Zechariah. He belongs to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Zechariah, good guy or no? Great guy. Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah was blameless in how he handled the Lord's commands. He was righteous in the sight of God. You would think if anybody got a word from the Lord and was eager to follow it, it would be this guy, right? This is where we see Gabriel's first appearance. You drop down to verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And he goes and he tells him about what he had been praying for and how God was going to move in his life. In verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The Gabriel showed up and said, hey, your wife's going to be pregnant. Y'all been praying for a baby all this time, and then God's going to give it to fruition, and here's what that baby's going to be used for. His name's going to be John the Baptist. It's going to be awesome. And he's like, hey, how, how can I be so sure of this? My wife, she's an old lady. I'm an old man. How, how can I be so sure that any of this is going to happen? And that's how we know it's, it's Gabriel. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God every day. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. 
Mm. So here we have a priest, righteous in the sight of God, blameless in how he follows God's decrees, that when he's given a word from Gabriel, a word from the Lord, about how he is to go out and be obedient, he says, whoa, 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 I'm not sure I believe this. Look at Mary's response. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? A lot of people would look at that and say, well, she did the same thing. No, she didn't. They asked two different questions. Zechariah asked, how can this be? Mary asked, how will this be? It's kind of like this. If you were to go home and you were to tell your wife, honey, for Christmas this year, I'm going to take you to Hawaii. (laughs) Somebody already laughed. I don't know, it might have been their wives laughing. I hope I didn't get y'all in trouble. I see a few ladies crossing their arms and looking at their spouses right now. Honey, I'm going to take you to Hawaii. They're going to respond in one of two ways, probably. Oh, yeah? How can that, how, how are you going to make that happen? How can that be? How are we going to do that? Or, honey, I'm going to take you to Hawaii. How are we going to get there? Do y'all hear the two different responses? One is filled with doubt. One is, okay, what you want me to do? There's a big difference in how can this be versus how will this be. How can this be is the question of whether or not it's going to happen. How will this be is, okay, I'm in. What, what are we going to do? I love her response there. How will this be? And we have Mary. She's poor. She's an unknown at this point in time, at least to humanity standards. But look at her faith demonstrated at the angel of the Lord. How, how will this happen? I mean, I, I'm totally in. Mm. How do you respond? When you're reading God's word, when you're spending time with him in prayer, when God calls you out, when God's revealing, when God's pointing you to action, how's your response? I don't, I don't know if that's really what God was telling me to do. I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> or, I know this is what God's want me to do. I just don't know how, it, I don't know what to do next, but I'm ready. What's your response? Do we follow in the footsteps of this teenage girl that said, okay, well, I kind of believe it, so what do you need me to do? Or do we take the other side of, gee, I just really don't know if that's really what God wants me to do. I mean, they're dirty. They're different than me. They live on a different side. That's a lot of money. Y'all see what I'm saying? Don't think, well, we're good church people. There was a priest that was righteous in the sight of God that didn't believe it. And then we got this poor peasant girl that was all in. It's a condition of the heart. It don't matter about the number of times you checked your Sunday school role or how much tithe and offering you gave. It's a condition of your heart and your relationship with God. That when he calls, when he's calling you, do you answer Or do you doubt? But that's not the only time she responded. After Gabriel laid out the plan for her, look at her response down in verse 38. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled, as you have said. And that's why I wanted y'all to read what your version might have said. In that last part of verse verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. 
There's a guy who wrote this. His name is Tabidi Anyabwadli. You can, you can show me how you say that after service. But don't worry about his name. Worry about what he said. This is what he says. The moment you admit the existence of God, you must deny the impossible. I'll read it again. The moment you admit the existence of God, you must deny the impossible. That's what Gabriel was saying here. For nothing is impossible with God. And this girl, this little teenage girl, who had devoted herself to the Lord said, Okay, say when. Wow, I am the Lord's servant. You know, you know who that reminds me of? In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to him. You know what he said? Here am I. Send me. Doesn't that look like that? A lot of Old Testament guys and, and New Testament guys. Paul himself, he kind of responded the same way. Hey, if I live, glory be to God. If I die, glory be to God. Whatever God wants, let it be. Is that your song? Is that your life motto? Whatever God wants, I'm in. When God comes knocking on your door, when God calls you, when God's calling us out, do we have a faith that says, yeah, I'm in. How is it going to happen? How will this be? When God shared Jesus with the world, it wasn't for the world, particularly those who profess Jesus as Lord, to go and sit in the stands and become observers. When God sent Jesus into the world, it was to get those who would believe upon his name into the action so that the name and the glory of God would be made known through the people that love him. If you weren't paying attention, you just confessed this in song just a few minutes ago. This is what is called worship. And the only way, church, the only way this is going to happen in your life, the only way this is going to happen in my life, the only way we're going to get to the place where we can have a faith like Mary, the only way we're going to get to the place that when God calls and we respond with, how will this be? I'm in. May it be as you've said. I'm the Lord's servant. Let's do it. The only way we're ever going to get to that place is one key pivotal moment is to recognize that God's will for your life is greater than your plans for your life. That is the only way we will ever get to the place where we can mirror Mary's faith and say, man, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to become. We have got to let go of our petty hopes and wishes of what we want our life to turn out as and embrace the unknown of what God is calling us to be. Deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow me. Y'all ever heard that? I didn't, I didn't come up with it. Don't give me credit. It was sarcasm. This is why God chose to share Jesus with us. It was for his glory, for his purpose, for his grace, for his goodness, for his majesty, for his kingdom, for our good. This is the ultimate way to share Jesus. You're going to celebrate it in about three days.
but are you really going to celebrate the privilege of sharing Jesus? Or are you just going to unwrap presents and eat stuff? What will be your story of faith with your family this week? Because when the age of grace entered in, on that night, your past and your future were all rewritten in the same moment. Are you willing to embrace the author of a new story? Are you willing to let his will for your life supersede your plans for your life? If so, man, you better get ready for an adventure. If not, what's stopping you? I pray this Christmas we all can take the mindset of Mary and say, okay, God, I believe in you and I trust you. Say when. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the privilege we have of opening it and discussing it and celebrating it, God. Because even that in and of itself is far greater than anything we could possibly have come up with on our own. So God, this morning, as we have acknowledged your word as truth, may we not leave here and leave what we heard in the pew that we sat in. Or just assume that It'll be back in the same pew when we come back in here next week, if we have a next week. But God, awaken our hearts, stir up within us what Christmas really means. Give us a new set of eyes, a new heart to approach this amazing story of redemption that is found in the birth of Jesus. God, I thank you for Mary and her faith. And when you, you came to her through your angel and said, hey, Mary, I've, I've found grace in you. And because of my grace, I'm going to use you for the greatest birth that's ever been. And God, you, you came to a guy named Saul and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I've got a really cool story to write in your life if you let me. And you came to the people in this room on the day of their salvation, and you said, I'm calling your name. And they answered. So God, for the believers in this room, may this Christmas they rise and declare the amazing awe of the story of the birth of Jesus we call Christmas. And may their families and friends be completely captivated by your story of grace. God, for the person in this room that maybe they don't have the privilege of celebrating Jesus, God, because they've never come into a relationship with you. They've never given their life to you. Father, I pray that today they recognize this gift of love for your glory was for their good. I pray, God, that they would recognize that they are separated from you, just like we talked about last week, but it was your grace and willingness to share the story of redemption with us so that we might be able to have access to you. I pray, God, this morning that if there's any doubt or question from anyone in this room, that when we sing in just a minute, they would come down and talk to me. They would talk to Terrence. They would talk to somebody before leaving this room to say, I want to know that I'm saved.
and God deliver them to that moment. God, awaken all of our hearts to the beauty of your story. And may we recognize the implications it means for us not to sit back and watch and read, but to willingly lay our lives down before you so that you can develop in us a faith like Mary. God, however we choose, however you lead us to respond this morning, may we follow in obedience and submission. In your name we pray. As we stand, let us respond in worship to what God is calling us to.